Please turn in your Bible to the New Testament book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. We're continuing our study through this epistle, and from here, we can see the end. It's, it's easy to get to thinking, well, we're almost done with this. Where are we going next? And get to looking to the next thing. And I, I do hope on the one hand that you'll be ready to dive into a study. Um, I think we'll go to the book of Ecclesiastes when we leave here. Uh, so get ready for that. But not just yet. I hope you'll see that there's still so much treasure here to be had for us. So I don't want us to lose sight of this portion of God's word that lay in front of us now. Uh, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer, asking God's blessing on his word, and then we'll read the first five verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit who helps us, interprets for us scripture. God, we pray this morning that you would remove error from our thinking. We pray, God, that you would build good doctrine in us. We pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, we would receive the benefits of his ministry, conviction of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. Bless now the preaching of your word. Hide the preacher behind the cross of Christ that we might hear the voice of our dear Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter 5, the first five verses. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Young men likewise. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The New American Standard Translation begins this section with the word therefore. Uh, English Standard, which I know many of you have, starts with the word so. And these words connect us to what has come before. They link us back to what is immediately prior. If we recall the previous section, we're reminded that we should think it not strange when we encounter fiery trials for the sake of Christ. Peter exhorts us that as we suffer for the kingdom of God, we share in the suffering of Christ. We also remember that Peter put us in mind in the previous section of coming judgment when he said judgment begins at the house of God. Now we come to chapter five and remember Peter didn't 
write a big five at the beginning of his page. These numbers and chapter breaks were added later. He continues. So in our thinking, we want to continue the thinking. As we read here, therefore, or so, our minds move from this coming persecution, from this coming judgment, to now the elders of the church. If judgment truly begins at the house of God, then surely the place for it to start is with the elders, with those in leadership. Peter addresses these men as elders. Elders, the word here is presbyters. Uh, I, when I hear that word, I think about my eye doctor. He knows I'm a preacher, so I go, and every time I go to the eye doctor, he says, oh, you have presbyopathy. Presbyopathy, elder eyes. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> no, he's, he's my friend. But, uh, but this word presbyter, it means elder. That's, that's the word that we see here. And as we read it, and Peter addresses these elders, we might think in our minds, well, he means older men. He means those who are of age, as, as opposed to those mentioned in verse 5, who are the younger men. And of course, that would, that would be the simplest understanding of the word. But we're corrected in this understanding in this context when we read that these elders to whom he is speaking, these elders to whom this is addressed are to shepherd the flock, feed the sheep, tend the lambs of God. So it becomes evident that Peter is speaking to those men, not who are elder in age, but those who hold the office of elder. Now that office also goes by the name pastor, shepherd, bishop, Overseer, we see those words used interchangeably. We might understand, and, and it is true, that the greater uh, number of these men will be older as well as hold the office of elder. The office often demands a maturity and a seasoned wisdom which only comes with age and experience. But we do know that there are exceptions to this old elder. Those exceptions like Timothy. Uh, Timothy uh, was an elder and held the office of elder, though he is called by the Apostle Paul a young man. Now, as we think about this, I want us to understand when the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, we believe the Apostle Paul was in his 60s. And that Timothy would have been in his 30s. So I just want to get us, we're not talking about a nine-year-old and we're not talking about a 19-year-old. We're talking about a 30-year-old who is addressed here as an elder and a younger man. So I just want to get that in our thinking. Listen to what Calvin says when he comments on this passage. They call them presbyters or elders for honor's sake. Not because they were old in age, but because they were principally chosen from the aged. For old age, for the most part, has more prudence, gravity, and experience. But as sometimes old age is not wisdom, don't we know that and we see that, sometimes old age is not wisdom. And as the young men are found more fit, such as Timothy, these are also usually called presbyters or elders after having been chosen to that order. So he speaks here of those who hold the office. What a mistake we make in churches. 
when we see so many young men, and I don't mean in their 30s, I mean young men thrust into pastoral ministry, into the office of elder. Any younger man, it seems, who shows in the church a love for Christ and a, and a hunger for the word, someone will say, that man must be called to ministry. And we see the results of this unwise action of thrusting these, these young, young men into ministry. We see it when we survey and see the state of the church. Church, when men love Christ, when men have a hunger for His Word, we should call them Christians. And we should not push them into ministry. And if men who have a love for Christ and a hunger for His Word we call Christians, what a time to evaluate our own hearts, our own desires, our own hungers, and see, are we living a life worthy of that label? By the error of pushing young, young men into ministry, many churches are destroyed and many young men are destroyed. As Peter addresses these elders, we might expect, I mean, this is Peter. This is St. Peter. And we all know from every joke we've ever heard that he's the one in charge of the door. Right? I mean, this, this is that Peter. This is, that's... I wasn't in my notes and I shouldn't have said it. He, we expect as Peter writes, maybe he would say something like this. I write to you as an apostle and as an apostle, I have a higher office than elder. So you must listen to me as I command you apostle to elder. That's not what he says, is it? He writes, and, and by the way, it is certain that, that Peter is an apostle and that apostle certainly would have an authority to command elders. But here, Peter does not set his words in the context of that authority. He refers to himself as a fellow elder. And it's interesting that we see that. Now, now all apostles are elders, but not all elders are apostles. Oh, well, we don't have time. I was going to say something. Yeah, we don't have time. So here, Peter comes alongside the elders of the church and he exhorts them rather than commands them. He speaks to them as a colleague rather than as a superior. Uh, and though it is an exhortation, though he is speaking as a colleague, we will see things that should be obeyed, that should be followed. And while we see that Peter speaks as an equal, as a fellow elder, at the same time, he does add gravity to his words when he writes as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now that's something no elder today can say. That's something that most of those elders who he was writing to in that day could not say. And we're reminded as he says he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ that Peter was an eyewitness, not only to the ministry of Christ, but also when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was beaten, when Jesus was crucified, Peter was there. Peter saw that. And we remember that Peter stood and watched Christ's sufferings as Peter watched. He denied knowing Christ with cursings. So this mention, as Peter exhorts the elders, brings up all these things into our minds as well as 
The day when on that seashore, Jesus forgave Peter and restored him to ministry, saying to him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And as Peter writes as a witness, as a partaker in the suffering of Christ, he adds that he will also be a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. That phrase, the glory that is to be revealed, he refers to the second coming of Christ when Christ returns in victory. This text is essential today for all those who are elders, presbyters, pastors. I would add for any of you who may have aspirations to one day be an elder, a presbyter, a pastor. We have here Peter, our fellow elder, encouraging and instructing us on how we are to discharge the duties of this divinely ordained office. But this text is not only important to pastors and those who aspire to be pastors. This text is also important to every Christian who will be under the ministry of a church, under the ministry of elders, of pastors. Now, it should go without saying, but we're going to go ahead and say it. That means every Christian. Because every Christian should be in a church under the authority of an elder. Biblical authority. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian living outside the fellowship of a local church. Now that Peter has established this common ground, fellow elder, he gives us this charge. He gives us a directive to the elders of the churches. The directive, the charge, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. We could say that in another way. Feed the sheep. It must not escape our notice that this is the very command that Christ gave to Peter. Feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, tend my land. This is the very same command that Christ gave to Peter. Peter has been working tirelessly to obey that mandate from the Lord. And now as Peter comes to the end of his life, Peter will be killed only a few years after he writes these words. As he comes to the end of his life, Preparing to depart this world, he passes this work on to a new generation. Shepherd the flock, tend the lambs, feed the sheep. Now Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. The flock belongs to Jesus Christ. And and as Peter passes this responsibility along as this is entrusted to other elders he is careful to make the ownership of the sheep very clear jesus said shepherd my flock peter says shepherd the flock of god this is god's sheep so we are reminded here that the church this local congregation And every local representation of the true church of Christ is the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head. He died for us. He purchased each one of us with his precious blood. It is his church. Church, I'm so grateful that many of you love your pastors. What a blessing that is but we didn't die for you. We couldn't and we didn't. Some will say, well, you're saying this is Christ's church, but preacher, I heard you say this is my church. And we use that language, don't we? 
This is my church. This is, and this is our, this is our church. We say that, and, and I think it's okay for us to say this is our church as long as we know this is Christ's church. And, and here's why I think it's okay. I have an illustration. I, I have a house. I bought it. I guess I should say I am buying it. <laughs> Me and the bank own it. I am paying for it. I cover all the maintenance. Anything that, that's done there is my responsibility. And when my children were at home, when they still lived there, they might say to a friend, let's go to my house. This is my house. And they were not expressing that they would like to take ownership. What they were expressing is the benefits of being my children. This is my house because it's my father's house. This is the house where I belong. This is the house where I'm supposed to be. In the same way, when we refer to the church, to this local New Testament body, and we say, this is my church. This is our church. We're not claiming ownership. We are saying, this is my father's house. And it's where I belong. It's where I'm supposed to be. So yeah, this is Christ's church. This is God's church. This is our church because it's our Heavenly Father's church. Now's a good time to remind us all, as I use this illustration of my children when they lived at home, when, when they were living at home, it was their house because of their relationship to me. And they had a set time to be home. So we all have a set time to be at the house of our Heavenly Father. Now, folks, I'm just going to tell you, too many of us are too often late for curfew. Too many of us are too often not at home when we're supposed to be. Elders, we must remember this is God's flock. These are God's sheep. We say it is the house of God. But without these Christians who have covenanted together, this is just a big hay barn. You put a lot of hay in here. It's only the house of God when the children of God are gathered in this place. And elders, we must never forget, we must never think that these are our people. We must never think that these people are for our service. Quite the opposite, we are serving God as we serve God's people, as we shepherd the flock. And the instruction here to shepherd the flock, it says shepherd the flock among you. Now, now this indicates that every elder is not an elder at every church. Uh, shepherd the flock among you. Among you speaks to a particular local New Testament congregation. And that's where the elders are to shepherd. Shepherd where you are. Shepherd the flock among you. Now in our day, in 2023, shepherding is not as familiar to us. Modern, modern day, mostly urban context for the people in, in our world. Uh, shepherding is not as familiar as it has been in the past. Now we here in Texas are blessed that we have a better connection to animal husbandry than in many places. Uh, you know, some people grow up in cities and they never see a cow. 
They, they never see those kind of things. But we see herds of cattle. We see flocks of goats and flocks of sheep. And we see those things pretty regularly. Now, if you're thinking, I don't see those things pretty regularly, you need to get out of town more. You, you need to just, just drive. It's not, it's not far. Just drive a little bit. But shepherding is pretty simple to understand. And now, Pastor Brant is a cattle man. And uh, he has been the illustration for many sermons through the years. And, and he still is. Pastor Brent has illustrated this concept of shepherding in his cattle operation. Ask Pastor Brent, what is it that you do? And on some days he will tell you, well, I'm in grass management. I'm in grass management. And, and really, that is the heart of the job. It's grass and water management. That's, that's the heart of the job. So shepherding is really a grass and water undertaking. The job is to make sure that their grass and the water is pure and clean and nutritious Certainly not toxic or poison. Sometimes there must be a supplement with, with protein or mineral for the health of the sheep. The job is persistent. I fed yesterday, but I got to feed again today. I put out hay, but it's time to put out hay again. It's persistent. It never quits. It rains. It snows. It, it'll drive you crazy. <laughs> it never quits. Well, listen, so it is with pastors who shepherd the flock. We are, we are in our job to make sure that the spiritual grass and water is pure and clean and nutritious. Now, more than any pasture would grow up with pollutants and, and toxins and poisons, the religious landscape of this world is overgrown with it, with contaminants, with things which will poison the flock of God. Unhealthy, unwholesome doctrines are being passed off by bad shepherds as food for God's sheep. Elders, we must consistently and persistently provide a steady diet of good nutrition from the Word of God. Teach and preach and then prepare to do it again. At the same time, we must warn the sheep. These sheep go to dangerous places. Some of you sheep go to dangerous places. I'm talking about Christian bookstores. Dangerous places. And elders, we must tell them where the wolves are. Without fear, Plainly, that means we got to name names sometimes. We must tell them which things are toxic. And sometimes we need to point the way to better nutrition. This is better. Now, church, some of you have experienced this kind of shepherding. When your pastors say, it's not that there's something wrong with that book. It's not that there's something wrong with that teacher or with that material. It, it, it's just that there's not enough right with it. We have to point you to a better source of nourishment. By the way, sometimes you don't like that. Sometimes we need to warn, hey, that's 95% nutritious and only 5% poison. Now, the question is, what percentage of poison is acceptable? It, yeah, we got time. I'm going quick. Listen, there, there are times 
when you find something that's 95% good and then mixed with 5% bad. You know what I've learned? Whatever those 95% things that are said that are good, they were said by somebody else better without the poison. They They were said in a different place, in a different way, by a different person. Sometimes this kind of shepherding makes sheep angry because sometimes sheep develop an appetite, a taste for unwholesome things. Even sitting here, I know that some of us even now have a taste for some unwholesome things. Elders, we must shepherd the flock. That brings us to the next phrase in verse 2. Shepherd the flock. Exercising oversight. Now, as much as the sheep might have a tendency to resist pastoral oversight, so pastors have a tendency to let the sheep self-shepherd. Do you know how many times I've heard that in my life growing up? You need to learn to self-feed. Listen, I, I hope you read your Bible. I really do. But, but pastors... Pastors, we might have a tendency to become lazy. It's just, it's easier to be that easygoing, agreeable pastor. Now, some of you are saying, well, pastor, you don't, I'm not easygoing and agreeable. Listen, it's, it's easier to be that. But fellow elders, we must exercise oversight. And, and that oversight Brothers, is not based on our own sight. That oversight must be based on the word of God. And, and by the way, flock of God, that is why you submit to the elders. That is why you, as Hebrews says, obey your elders. And I'm getting on what we'll talk about next week. But th- that's why you do that. Not because that man is smarter, that man is wiser, that man. Not because of that man, but because he better be speaking the words of God. He better be speaking the oracles of God. And if he is, then it's not his authority. It's God's authority. And yes, we must submit. And by the way, can I just tell you, when I preach a sermon to you, I've already preached it to myself. This particular sermon is convicting. So we are elders. We are in a unique place of being sheep and being under shepherds. We're in that unique place. Our our oversight must be based on the word of God. As the elders are instructed to oversight, in verse 5 we read that the flock is instructed to submit to godly shepherding. And Hebrews echoes that. We read some things from Hebrews this morning and and we'll read others. We'll we'll see that next week. This this day, today's message focused on the shepherds. Next, Next time we'll look at the sheep. Before we move away from this point, I want to point out that verse three mentions exercise oversight to those who are allotted to your charge. There are those allotted to the charge of elders. So there is a real sense in which the pastor must shepherd and the sheep must follow. Elders are to exercise oversight. Feed the sheep, feed the flock, exercise oversight. But, but we have more here. Exercise oversight, particularly and specifically in the way that is laid out for us here. 
And, and if you'll follow along, you'll see these things. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not lording over, but proving to be an example. In these three things that we see, these three qualifiers as to how we are to exercise oversight, we find here three temptations for an elder. Three vices, if you will, which a pastor may be enticed to go after. So we have the vice, the error is listed, then we have the word but, and then we see the contrasting thing, the good and proper motivation for shepherding. The first vice we'll label sloth, idleness, laziness. This is, this is indicating that a pastor, uh, what does it say? Doing, uh, shepherding the sheep, exercising oversight under constraint. Under constraint. Now, this is indicating that a pastor would do only what he is constrained to do. He'll do only what he will be tested in. He'll do only what he'll be found out in. I'll just do, what will we say? The bare minimum. I'll just do what I can to get by. John Calvin says about these elders who would only shepherd under constraint, they seek to do more than what constraint, uh, what constraint compels them. They do their work formally and negligently. Matthew Poole adds, not by constraint, not merely because you must, what men do out of compulsion, they do more slightly. Half-heartedly? What men do out of compulsion, they do more slightly and perfunctorily. I had to look it up. They do more slightly and perfunctorily. That is to say, they do it out of routine. They do it out of ritual. They do it because it's just the thing that we do. What they do out of compulsion, they do more slightly and more out of routine. He continues, as those who would not do it if they could help it. Pastors, we may be tempted to that. Well, if I could help it, I wouldn't. But we must not. The Holy Spirit, through Peter's pen here, instructs us to shepherd not by constraint, but willingly out of a true desire to feed the sheep. This is the source of real devotion to our work. The answer to sloth in ministry is zeal, passion, willingness. Pastors, exercise oversight, not by constraint, but willingly. Then pastors must shepherd motivated not by money. This one's just stated in the negative. Not for sordid gain, the text says. Again, Poole likens this as feeding the sheep for the love of the fleece. Can I just say, uh, in, in all of these things, in, in the sloth and the idleness, the laziness, and now in the being motivated by sordid gain, we might have a tendency to think, I know those people out there. I know some, we could put some, boy, we could talk about people who shepherd in this way. I know that. 
but they're not here. And the word of God is for us. We may be tempted to shepherd for financial gain. The Bible tells us there's no such thing as loving God and loving money. You can't serve God and mammon. A pastor's work in feeding the flock must be wholehearted without the thought of what will I get out of this. Exercise oversight. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Then the final vice that is listed here for a pastor is to avoid that lust for power. Don't shepherd being motivated by a lust for power. It says in verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. A pastor must not be a tyrant. A pastor must not be domineering over the congregation. Whatever power an elder would grab, whatever power a pastor would take for himself, he tries to take that away from Christ Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. We must not pastor out of a lust for power. The remedy for this lust for power is to serve as an example. Brothers, God has not given us the kingdom. He's given us care in the kingdom. He retains the throne. He's still the king. He's still the head of the church. So brothers, let us shepherd. Let us exercise oversight by serving as examples. As we come to verse 4, just as Peter has pointed out uh, to us in the past, the second coming of Christ, uh, again here, he puts this thought in our mind, when the chief shepherd shall appear. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Fellow pastors, fellow elders, fellow presbyters, we are under shepherds. He is the chief shepherd. We serve at the pleasure of the king. We we serve at the command of the chief shepherd. As Peter exhorts the elders of the churches of Jesus Christ, we may be further encouraged this morning by the words of the apostle Paul as he exhorted Pastor Timothy. So church, listen here in closing that you might know what to expect. Yea, that you might know what to require of your pastors. Pastors, we listen to these words as a personal appeal to how we must shepherd the flock of God. Y'all want to turn there, 1 Timothy 4? I'll read it, but if you want to, 1 Timothy 4, I'll read verses 11 through 16. Paul in his 60s speaking to Timothy in his 30s. 1 Timothy 4.11 Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down upon your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation and to teaching. I wonder what the focus of our church should be. 
wonder what our main thing should be. Seems pretty clear, right? Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, we would say that's preaching, and to the teaching. Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. I just threw it together. I, I just, I, I didn't have a lot of time. I just, I just, take pains with these things. I'm not very good at that. I need to grow in, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. So that your progress will be evident to all. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your doctrine. Preserve these things. I'm sorry, persevere in these things. You should preserve them too, but persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure the salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That's, that is powerful. Persevere in these things. Be absorbed in these things. Pay attention to yourself. That is to your life. To your own holiness. And to the doctrine that you teach. Because in doing that, you ensure salvation for yourself and those who hear you. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Peter says. What a day that will be. And my Jesus, I will see when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. What a day. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts. We pray, Lord, as your sheep, as your flock, that you would give us, that you would grant to us the gift of godly under-shepherds, of godly ministers, pastors. God, we pray that You would raise up men to pastor the churches for our children, for our grandchildren. We pray for those men who are currently carrying that mantle of the office. Help them to not look into the eyes of men that they would fear. Help us to look to You. Help us to shepherd Your flock according to Your will. Help us to exercise oversight, not with laziness and sloth, not with a desire for money, not with a lust for power, but help us to do this willingly, eagerly, and as examples. We give you all praise and glory. Amen.